This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. I'm your guest host, Dr. Alakia Rogers, filling in for Martha and Jim Bregenberg. Oh, and my lovely wife, Diana Rogers, is here with me in the studio, too. Check out the latest on www.iworkforhim website. And while you're out there, please prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him nation. Start praying for your co-workers and employees by name each and every single day. So every day we're going to going to take a different approach to looking at the way you think about faith at work. And today we're going to be talking about biblical solutions in the urban communities. And we have Dr. James Wilkerson joining us for our discussion. Dr. Wilkerson, it is great to have you on the show today. It is indeed my great pleasure to be here today to talk about things we find written in the Word of God. Oh, The Bible tells me to always and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So to be invited to sit and share today, I'm thankful. Oh, I am excited today, you all. Listen, we are in for a great treat. I want to jump right into the subject of biblical solutions in the urban communities. And it's interesting because the last time that I was in the studio, I was a campaign manager for my attorney who was running for judge here in Hillsborough County. And that is how I met you, Doc. I met you and I saw the different communities all across the county. And as a result of that experience and exposure, I've been committed to getting to know and interacting with those different communities all across Hillsborough County. So as I, if I drive around, I see it's not hard to see the, the economic development that's going all over. And in my interactions, I've learned that there's so many new things that are taking place. There is big economic development, economic solutions that are happening in the urban core and all throughout Hillsborough County. But as a Christ follower, I know, I know that what you do for Christ will last. And while economic solutions help, it's the biblical solutions that we know are going to be transformative to urban communities and all communities. So, Dr. Wilkerson, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself personally, your profession, your business, and how you came to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Wow. So if I have to look back over my life, I grew up um, Pope. In Mississippi, Poe. <laughs> we weren't poor. We didn't have enough of the O and the R. We were Poe. And so growing up in Mississippi, I, I had one desire. That was not to be Poe. Um, and so I focused on one day wanting to be a professional athlete. All I wanted to do was play in the NFL. Unfortunately, when you 93 pounds as a sophomore going into high school, the likelihood of you making it to the NFL Slim and none, and Slim left the building, so I had to come up with plan B. <laughs> um, I don't have the voice of a singer, so I don't sing like an angel. I'm not a gifted musician, so I had to find something else to do. Um, I had an opportunity to work with an attorney when I was a senior in high school, and I kind of shaped the way I thought about possibilities. Um, he was a very suave and debonair individual, and I made up my mind that I wanted to be an attorney. Well, when you're 17 years old, you get influenced by a lot of people along the way. And so prior to going into um, my freshman year at Florida a University, I was hearing all kind of noise about this field, that field, and it kind of kind of led me away from what I had really, really uh, committed to doing. And so I decided, you know, let me take a step back. I showed up at Florida a University 
And I decided I was going into data processing out of all the things. Now, you got to understand, I didn't have a computer background, never had a computer in the house. And so the likelihood of me having great success in that arena, it wasn't going to happen. Nevertheless, um, I wasted about two years of my life um, in that in that undergraduate program because I had to learn Pascal, Cobalt, Fortran, and all those things I wasn't um, exposed to previously. And so um, I went to the dean of the School of Business and Industry, Dr. Silva Mobley, and um, I asked her if, if she would welcome me back into the School of Business and Industry. And she said, yes, but you got some work to do. I got back into the School of Business and Industry. I was taking 20, 21 hours a semester just to catch up to be an accountant. Well, as I studied to be an accountant, I was looking at all the people around me who were um, getting ready to graduate to go work in the accounting um, field. Then it was a big eight accounting firm. Now I think it's just a big four. But during that time frame, I was looking at them and most of us was going to go out and start working as staff assistant, meaning we were going to be in a cubicle crunching numbers for somebody else. That didn't appeal to me very much. Um, my father, who passed when I was in college, he had always talked to me about about what it was like when he traveled the world in the military. So uh, on a whim, uh, I, I had a friend say he took this test, qualified, going fly airplanes with the Navy. He's from the Virgin Islands. He had an accent. I'm from Mississippi. I had an accent. I figured, hey, I could do this. And so I took the test, qualified to go um, be a naval aviator. And so I did that for 20 years. I got to go all over the world, see a lot of things, do a lot of things. Prior to going into the military, I had the privilege of, of meeting my wife, who I've been with for 32 years. 32 years. Wow. 32 wonderful years. And when I met her, um, she was taking me to church. So you weren't going to church prior to this? The last, I grew up going to church. The, the rules in the house were, don't make a difference what time you come in from being out all night. Sunday morning at 11 <laughs> o'clock, you were going to be in, in church. church. Well, 17 years old, going to college, I had no adult supervision, so I got to do whatever I wanted to do. So the only time I went to church during my college career was when I went home to spend time with my mother, who made me go to church. church. Now, that's a beautiful thing because her pushing me to go to church when I was young resulted in me want to know more about what was in the word of God. And so some of the things I experienced in life, I could go back and reference from a scriptural standpoint. And so when I met my, my future wife, the first thing she did was took me to church. Her father was preaching and it seemed like he preached up one side of me and down the other side. So I had to look at her and I'm asking, what in the world did you tell your so daddy? So you're thinking she didn't put all your business out there Man, and she I, let, them, let your father, her father know that this guy, this, get him. Yeah, uh, um, but that wasn't the case because the Bible lets us know if, if our heart convict us or condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knew what I needed to hear to get my life in order. And, and so it worked out that you know, over the course of time, that's when I had a close encounter of the holy kind. Okay. That's when I got to know him as my savior. So through your wife, your relationship with the Lord, your now wife, your relationship with the Lord went to a whole new space. It, 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 was, it was altogether different. You know, there's a difference between being acquainted with somebody and knowing somebody. Right. And so I had an acquaintance with him at a distance. 
but I truly got to know him when I when I sat down and spent time with him. And what was beautiful about that relationship, even when we were dating in college on, on Thursday night, every Thursday night, it was just scheduled for my father-in-law to, and I to have Bible study. And I wanted to learn scripture because he he could quote scripture and, and we sit in Bible study. He said, go to this scripture, that scripture. And I wanted that. And so every Thursday night, I didn't go to see her. And I'm talking about my wife is beautiful. All right. And But I was going to see him. And because of that, I have a, I have a, a biblical foundation that I build everything on. And it has, has led me to this point in life where now I understand when he said he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm just a teacher of biblical stewardship principles. Okay, so here we're looking at your life and you're saying that prior to, and thank you for sharing your faith story about how you came to be a strong and committed follower of Christ. And it was clearly the help that the Lord was going to provide to you in the form of your wife that got you in that direction that you wanted to. You spoke about being an aviator pilot. And so now we know that you have transitioned into that. And you was at Florida A&M University. He's a rattler, everybody. I'm an Aggie, but we have love in the studio right now. But tell us a little bit about what that transition looked like afterwards. You know. So you're, 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 you said 20 years in the military, you're married. And now what does it look like? What does it look like when you've grown in your faith and you've made this connection between your faith and your work? Well, I, I realized along the way. The scripture reminds us that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. I knew God had called me to do something that I wasn't doing before. And so I made up my mind that whatever he says to me, I'll do it. And it may not always look like everything is going to fall in place, but my responsibility is simply to obey his voice. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right quick. We've been talking with Dr. James Wilkinson. We just heard his faith story about how he came to be a follower of Christ. And now we want to hear from him about how he sees biblical solutions that are going to begin to impact these urban communities. And, and why is that important to you? Dr. Wilkinson, why is it important for you that you see biblical solutions impact the urban communities, specifically in the frame of in which you serve the community? So I base everything on scripture. All right. If you go back in the, in the book of Joshua chapter one, verse eight, it says this book of the law should not depart out of their mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night that thou may observe us to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Well, unfortunately, most people don't have the type of success because they don't understand if it is to be, it is up to me. The things that we find written in the word of God are put there so we could understand how he wants us to win in this life and in the life to come. Unfortunately, most people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge in America. It's amazing that 66% of the population, just say two-thirds of Americans, don't understand compound interest. A very simple, a, a very simple um, solution to a lot of people's problems, but it's found written in the Word of God. Think about this, sir. There are about 2,300 scriptures in the Bible associated with stewardship, more than prayer, fasting, faith, heaven, hell, love combined. Why do you think God puts such a big emphasis on stewardship? That's a good question. Why don't you tell us? Well, think about it like this. My people are destroyed or perish for a lack of 
Knowledge. Knowledge. There are a lot of people making money, spending money, but they don't know how to protect and grow money. If they took time out to search the scripture, search the scripture for these or they that testify of me. The Bible gives us a clear picture of how to manage our resources. Jesus spent most of his parables talking about stewardship. Yet we take the word of God and we have a tendency to jump past what's in the scripture for us. So if we think about it from this perspective, money has a language. Okay. Most people don't know the language of money. The language of money is a concept called a rule of 72. Albert Einstein, you know, the, the guy they call the smartest man in the world. He calls it the eighth wonder of the world. It's compound imp- simply says, whatever interest rate you earn on your money, you divide it into 72. It tells you how long it takes your money to double. But before Albert Einstein, Jesus was. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse um, 14 through 29, he talks about the parable of the talent. He gave one five. He gave one two. He gave one one. That's compound interest. That's the rule of 72 long before Albert Einstein. Mm. But what was unique about what Jesus said is in verse 27, there was the one who received the one talent. The Lord rebuked him because he came back with just what he was given. The Lord said, why didn't you give my money to somebody who knew what to do with it? Unfortunately, most people don't know what to do with their money and they put their money in the wrong places. The reason they're doing that is because they are not getting help. Scripturally, it says, ask and you shall receive. Talk to me. All right. So, you know, this is this is really good because the very first thing that you stated was you take everything from a biblical perspective first. So when I look at solutions that you've just identified, you said faith first, Mm -hmm. looking at faith and how the communities need to be shaped so they can begin to allow God to begin to restore and put things in place. And and you, you emphasize on multiple occasions how people perish for a lack of Knowledge. Exactly. And, and then you immediately jumped into the occupation in which you serve. And you're a certified financial planner and that you have uh, identified that so many people, again, perish for a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Speak a little bit more about what you do specifically, biblically solu- applying biblical solutions to help urban communities. Well, one of the things that I like to do when I talk to anybody um, as a financial planner, the first part of the process is we have to determine if we can work together. Two can't walk together except they be agreed. And so um, I, I have to have a process where I find out if that individual and I can work together. So and you mean to tell me you're not just trying to manage anybody's money? You're not just trying to help anybody and get a client? That's not how you do things? No, I, I can't operate like that because I need to work with people who are going to be willing to implement the strategies that I'm going to work recommend. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. And, and, and I don't have time to waste because what I bring to the table for folks is important. And so I, the first question I ask everybody is, what's the most important thing to you? And normally, usually, generally, they say, God, family. What that tells me, if I ask them to write down the 10 most important things to them, normally they're going to say, well, my God, my, my, my faith, uh, my wife, my kids, well, I have to remind them wife, kids, and all those other things, that's still one. That's called family. And so I teach people to understand the five F's, faith, 
we always want to do something faith-based. We want to do stuff to make us feel good, to be a blessing to others. Scripturally, we're told to bless people and do good. Everybody would like to do that, but everybody's not in a position to do that. And because people have not been good stewards of what God has given them, there are a lot of blessings that are being withheld from people who are in desperately need of that kind of help. The other thing that I tell people is that we have to take care of our family. We know what the scripture says. If a man don't work, he doesn't eat. Neither shall he eat. Unfortunately, most of us have become um, slaves to, to jobs because we went out and went into debt. Think about it. If I ask the question, why do you go to work? What do you think most people say? Get paid. No, to pay bills. To pay bills. Most people are working to pay bills, but scripturally, my Bible tells me, oh, no man, anything but to love one another. So why am I in debt when even from a scripture standpoint, it said I should lend and not borrow. I should be the head and not the tail. I should be above only and not beneath. It's because I fell away from the principles that are written in the word of God. Remember, this book of the law shall not depart out of their mouth. And so we miss out on the part where we where we go out and create income for ourselves. We go to work on somebody's job for 40 years, 40 hours a week. Then we're going to get to retirement and we're going to expect to live on 40 percent of what we earn. Is that likely? No. I, I like you to think about it from this perspective. The average income in America is pushing up now toward 50000 So now that person works 40 years at $50,000. That's $2 million. What do you think the average saving is in America? You'll be startled. The average 50-year-old person has less than $200,000 saved for their retirement. Mm. That's 10% of the number we just talked about 40 years at 50%. How long would they last in retirement? Not very long. But they want to take care of their family. How will you do that? And so we have to make sure we understand that our our responsibility, and this is the way I, I teach people this, a job is usually designed to help you to create the resources so you could go develop your own empire. What I'm hearing is, so you, you had made mention about these five F's, you, and you still have two more to go. You said faith, you said family, you mm-hmm. said finances. Mm-hmm. And when I think about these, as you stated them, faith, there's something that the church needs to be doing. There's something that the church needs to partner with local individuals in communities so we can really have a better understanding of how to begin to implement the solutions. Because again, this faith component starts with the church. Okay, and we are the body. We're having church right now. But at the same time, when we have entities, when we have churches throughout the community that can get together, get on one accord and make a difference, we'll then begin to see the family change. And as you have all of these dynamics continue to play out, I now see that there's now going to be some financial stewardship, some understanding that individuals will gain financially to make better decisions. So. Give me those last two of your five F's. So we have faith, we have family, we have finance, we have fitness, and we have fun. Okay. Okay, so we, we want to be in a position, scripturally it says, I, he, he would that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prosper. So it's God's desire for us to be able to enjoy the blessings of good health. But not only that, he wants us financially in a position to really go out and have some fun. 
I, I'm glad you you ordered it the way you did order it too. You know, it's very important that our lives are in order when we speak about making sure that we apply biblical solutions to the urban communities and all communities. It's important to have everything in order. So if we have faith on the bottom end and fun on fun on the front end, it looks like we're going to be broke without and, a doubt, without a doubt. Is that something you see very often when individuals that you say you come and you work with them to see if you can fit in a line? Well, what are, what does it look like when individuals come to you? Are things in order? Well, my father would always say people have champagne taste, but Coca-Cola budget. Mm. And, and <laughs> Tell I us see, what that means. I see that manifest all the time because scripturally the Bible lets us know the eyes are never satisfied. So people who don't have always want the stuff they can't afford. And so they will go into debt to buy stuff with money they don't have to impress people who really don't like them. Status, keeping mm. up with the Joneses. Let's take a look at the picture of America. 3% of the population control 97% of the wealth in America. The difference between what that 3% does and what the other 97% does is simple. Here's the 3%. I make money, I save money, I invest money, I accumulate wealth. Most of the other part of the population, you know, the 97%, I got a job. Give me some credit. I spend what I got to end up in debt. <laughs> All of that from champagne taste with Coca-Cola budget. Without a doubt. Oh, my God. Everybody want to keep up with the Joneses, but nobody wants to do what the wealthy people do. If you think about it, we're talking about in the urban community. Why would our people want to drive luxury cars, but rent an apartment? Why would they want to? Buy Gucci, Prada, Louis Vuitton, but they don't have anything set aside for a rainy day. Do you not know that the average American has less than a thousand dollars set up for an emergency fund? Mm. A failure to plan is a plan to fail. fail. Scripturally, we're told to write the vision and make it plain so those that run may see it. If we fail to take time out to put a plan in place, then we could guarantee we're going to fail. Most people don't understand. We could take today's child for $2 a day. Today's child becomes tomorrow's millionaire. I'm talking about set stuff in motion based on the rule of 72 that Jesus talked about in the parable of talents, sets things in motion for a child. So when the child gets up to retirement age, they have a six-figure income that comes to them tax-free for the rest of their lives. Plus, they have the ability to fund college and all these other things that happen. Despise not small beginning. It don't take a whole lot to do it. But here's what I'm going to ask you. People get a tax refund. What do they do with it? Go buy the thing that they've been wanting, that they've been looking at. And, and normally, usually for most kids, they get about $2,500, $3,000. Just take $1,000 and set aside the kid will be set up for the rest of their lives. I could talk to a 20-year-old person and, and think about this. Most people who have a car note, they have a car note where they're paying $400, $500 a month for a vehicle. And, and, and it's being financed not, not for five years now, six years and seven years. So 84 months paying on a car note. But people won't take the same, same dollars and invest in their financial future. One day you want to be free. We want to help create millionaires. We want people to take their resources, put those resources in place. So when they get to a point where they want to retire, 
they could retire in comfort. You know, Dr. Wilkinson, when you start talking about money, one of the things that I've just learned, it doesn't matter who you talk to. That's a very touchy subject. Why do you think that is such a touchy subject in urban communities? Because as you just identified, when you have this champagne taste, but you have a Coca-Cola budget, at some point you're going to run out. So if you have an individual who is Again, attempting to implement biblical solutions to help see some transformation. What do you think of some of the resistances that prevent individuals from talking about money? Most of the time, people have a, a right now mentality. To me, this is a strong statement. I equate it to sin. Scripturally, it says, therefore, to him that know it to do good and do it and not to him, it is sin. I could teach all day to do the right things, but when people don't, then from my perspective, they sin against the word of God because they knew exactly what they should be doing. And so what I find is we have a microwave generation mentality. Everybody want it right now. People are not willing to wait and let stuff marinate. They're not willing to save for a rainy day. Let me give you an example of, of what the scripture says, and, and, sh- and I share with you how I saw it come to life. The scripture says, go to the ant thou sluggard and consider her ways. The ant is always taken in because the ant know one day is going to rain. The ant is not bigger than a raindrop and is no, its life is in jeopardy if it goes out in the rain. So what does it do? It prepares for the rainy day. I was in Panama. And I, I saw what I thought was a green snake initially. It was it was moving and weaving, so I thought it was a snake. But as I got closer, it was a bunch of leaf cutter ants taking stuff into their nest to save up for a rainy day. That's, that sounds like a whole bunch of ants if you said it looked like a snake. Without a doubt. Okay, go ahead. Continue. And, and so as I as I witnessed this, it, it 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 automatically caused me to think about what the scripture said. Go to the ant, thou slug, and consider his ways. So I had to do an assessment just like everybody should do. Are we really saving for a rainy day? If you think about it like this, most people are not willing to live beneath their income. One of the things I teach people is to live on 70% of what you earn. That means if you make $1,000, you live on 700. That means your mortgage, your automobile, food, electric, everything has to come in that 700. Before you do anything else, 10% go to tithe because don't forget who gave you the power to get the wealth. I believe strongly in tithe and offering. The minimum is 10%. You could tithe more, but the minimum is 10. The third thing, you have 10% set aside for short term. We all want to do great things, take our families on getaways and buy things for all those folks who just celebrated Valentine's Day, they had to come out of their pockets to make it a wonderful experience mm-hmm. for their boo. Well, you need to have funds set aside for the short-term investments. But then you have to have your financial freedom fund. That 10% of money that you put away, if you sit there and let it compound and double every seven years, all of a sudden, you're sitting on an income that takes care of you for the rest of your life. You know, this is so natural for you to speak in this vein because this is the direction that you've allowed your life to take you as the Lord, as you followed his direction. But one thing that I also know about you is you have a doctorate in divinity. Okay. 
what do you think the faith aspect of your five F's? What do you think the church looks like and what they should be doing to provide biblical solutions in, in these urban communities? What does that look like for one, many? What does it look like, period? First of all, it's every church responsibility of the leader of every church to feed my sheep. That's what Jesus said. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Well, sometimes um, the parent may not know what's best from a nutritional standpoint for the child. So sometimes you might have to borrow from somewhere else. And so one of the things that I do, I provide complimentary um, seminars for folks based on biblical principles about what the Bible says about money. So I could go into a church, people become parent deaf. They've heard the pastor for so long, but they all of a sudden are shutting him out because it's something they don't want to hear from him. But a new broom sweeps differently. I think we all can identify with that. Everybody probably listening to this show has ignored something their parent has said, but then you get that uncle come in and tell you something and, oh, wow, that was amazing. And your parents are looking at your uncle like, you know, they just like you. Go, go ahead, finish that. It's, it's, it's not my position to come in and try to take anything away. My responsibility is to go simply add value to what the pastors have been saying all along because at the end of the day, our responsibility is to be growing the church. We're supposed to be a city that's set on the hill. We have too many things going on in America right now, and the church is not in a position to help resolve a lot of them because they don't have the financial resources in place. Because if we create better stewards, they will understand the importance of being liberal givers. Then the church will have the resources to go out there to feed, to clothe, and to build, and to do stuff. If you think about it like this, we're supposed to be a city that's set on a hill. Queen Sheba came to see Solomon because he had something Hmm. that she didn't have. The church should be an example for the world to come to see how we do what we do. We get it twisted. We are going out into the world to get stuff from the world and trying to bring it back into the church to make it fit. But that's not the way it was intended to be. It was intended for us to be a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. And if we as a church are operating in that capacity, then all of a sudden we won't have to go to the world to do stuff. If you think about this, most churches can come together and create their own credit union. You know, that's that's serious. That's strong. That changes the whole landscape of what a city would look like if the churches would come together and do that. Without a doubt. Why, why, why wouldn't they do that? Why don't they do that? What would you what's your thought? What's your opinion? Again, I'm from Mississippi. I'm country, so I go back to country saying. <laughs> Most of the time when you get a group of diverse leaders together, everybody wants to be the tallest pig at the trough. That is pretty country. That is pretty country. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but the reality of it is, if we abide by scripture, let every man esteem others more highly than himself. If, if we could get people, it's not about me or, or, or what I bring to the table. It's what are we able to do collectively? Because scripturally, it tells us two are better than one. And so if we can learn to work together, we could change the landscape for a whole lot of the urban blight that we have seen in communities that were vibrant at one point in time. I believe strongly in entrepreneurship. The Bible lets us know in Ecclesiastes 11 and 2, we should be basically having multiple streams of income, multiple ventures. 
Why? Because at the end of the day, we should be able to do business in our communities to develop our communities so that now we have the resources to make sure everybody's taken care. Because at the end of the day, when the, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, everybody who survived made it through because they were given enough. We have a responsibility to make sure we give people what they need to help them to grow so that they can be a blessing to the kingdom. What I'm hearing, and, and it's clear, it's obvious, it's evident, there has to be some collective coming together. There has to be a coming together. We cannot be divided. There has to be a unified voice. And at some point, I imagine that the church needs to get together and pray and pray about this because we have to see how we can move forward because our people perish for lack of knowledge. But I want to make sure that we are reminded he's identified five different areas. He calls them five F's. He said faith, family, finances. And these last two, I want him to speak on those a little bit more because those are essential. Fun and fitness. Dr. Wilkerson, from a biblical, healthy, solution-oriented perspective, what does that look like when you're having fun and what fitness looks like in our urban communities as a solution? Well, let's let's start with the fitness aspect first. Um, America has a problem with obesity. Um, we have we have drifted away from from having good nutrition to living off fast food. It's amazing. And I share my own story to give you an idea. Um, I would go on deployment for six months. I come home and and my wife wasn't the cook in the house. I was. Hmm. And so in the course of not cooking, the kids had got accustomed to always going out to eat. And so um, when daddy came home, it was a shock to them because they were no longer going out. They were eating at home, but it was, it was the right stuff. If you look at the nutritional value of what we've been served, it's not good because everything is additive and preservative. The only preservative we need is the spirit of God. That's what we should have as a preservative. And so when we look at it, there are certain things we are instructed to do. It, It says bodily exercise profited little. Didn't say it didn't profit anything. We have to do certain things to keep this vessel in order. How can we reach the world with the gospel and be a witness for God if we always complaining about being broke down and never being able to go out and do what God calls us to do? It's because we have not taken care of this temple that he's given us. And so one of the things that I I encourage people to do is not only why you have time to do it, but think about end of life. Unfortunately, most people are not preparing for end of life. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And the things that we implement, we need to make sure that if we were to leave today, we would leave our family with benefits and not bills. Oh, that's good. You know, I'm, what was it, about three months, no, about five months ago, I, ah, unfortunately, I had to, I had to bury three family members within 45 days of one another. And of those three family members, do you know that they didn't leave any benefits? Okay, that's common. That why why is that so common? Again, we're talking about biblical solutions to help urban communities. Why is that so common? Because most people are selfish. So I break it down like this. When when I take out an insurance policy, what I'm saying to my family is, I love you so much 
that I'm willing to sacrifice my now for your tomorrow. I'm willing to do something today so that if I'm not around to help you to celebrate the wins in your tomorrow, you will always be able to celebrate them. Most of us are thinking only about me, my, and I. And you probably heard people say, well, I'm not leaving anything to anybody outside of scripture because the Bible said we leave an inheritance to our children's children. So I have a responsibility to do that, but we're supposed to be able to lend to the poor also because when we give to the poor, we lend it to God. So there are some things we have to be able to do. And unfortunately, our mission is thwarted because we are not putting things in place. Just think about this for one moment. If, if people put things in place when they when they leave this earth if they had something to go take care of the family but also left something to help the church to continue to fulfill its mission most of those programs we talked about are needed they would probably be addressed this earlier this week I've, I visited a local church and, and and I've been to this church before and unfortunately they had they lost their senior pastor several years ago. And, and when I visited the church, when you, when I was on the outside, I said, okay, you know, I remembered it. But when I walked in, I said, Whoa, wait a minute. Totally remodeled. Amazing. Immediately when I walked in, my first thought was they had their affairs in order. Mm -hmm. They were, they, I very impressive. And I was so godly proud to know that there are leaders in our communities that have their affairs in order and now they can go and have fun. Exactly. You know, that that's a great segue into the fitness because as I stated, I had three family members dying within 45 days of each other, leaving no benefits. And then you had stated you call it selfishness when I can't sacrifice my today so you can have fun tomorrow. And as I'm looking at this ministry, local ministry, that is having fun, being able to reach a greater audience for the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does that fun aspect look like now as a so, biblical solution? So let, let me build on what you just said to okay. get there. And so one of the things that most leaders don't do uh, and most churches fail to do is take care of their leader's family. God forbid that that leader um, goes off the scene what does the family have left? That that leader has devoted years of service to that church. Now that church has what to give back to the family. Further, furthermore, what what is available to help that church to find the next leader to move the vision forward? So there have to be resources to do that. Resources have to be available. Here's what I'm going to share with you. Most people are not having fun because they don't have the resources to have fun in order to have you. You got to have some resources somewhere. You know, that's interesting. You say that because I, I, I remember this from my past when I was a lot younger and a lot more whimsical about things. Mm -hmm. It was not fun when you wasted something that, you know, you didn't have to be able to use. Because now you have to deal with the mental anguish of, oh, I knew I shouldn't have this and I shouldn't have that. Having, having resources makes the difference. A lot of people take the scripture, but they miss it. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. But my same Bible tells me money answer it all things. Money answers you have an ability to have fun. I, I guarantee you every husband wants to spoil their wife to the nth degree. Oh, Lord knows. Every, 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 
every father and mother want to spoil their kids to make sure that they had better than they had for themselves. Every every pastor who grew up in a church that had those hard pews that didn't have any cushion on them and had dirt <laughs> floors and they, they want to give their, their church the type of edifice that they could enjoy and, and celebrate and, and dance and not have to worry about kicking up dust. All right. I, I, I say that because we were in a church in Hawaii. We had what I call the carpets of many colors. We had a ch- we were having church in a World War II bunker. Wow. And it was no AC, and, and, and we had to dig this bunker out, and the only breeze that came through, we're in the valley now. You're not getting the breeze from the top. We're in the valley, and you let up the front of the bunker door and the back of the bunker door, and that's the only way you get a breeze in. And we had these ragtag carpets. They were they were a bunch of mismatched carpets that we had put in place, but oh man, did we have fun in that church. Right. I'm talking about, this This is probably the most racially diverse church I had ever experienced in my life because it was primarily military people. So we had we had black, we had white, we had young, we had old, we had Filipinos, we had Hawaiians, we had everything. And when the Spirit of God started to move in there and everybody began to praise God, they praised God in a different way. And I would just sometimes just sit there and look and just hmm. just rejoice in seeing what happens when a bag of Skittles come together. <laughs> I can testify to that because in 2001, I was in Hawaii, and that's when I got free. Talk. I got free to be able to worship God because I was a, around a coat of many colors. Mm-hmm. And it really changed my life, even to this very day. I just wanted to remind every every listener under the sound of my voice, listen, Dr. Wilkinson has given us faith, family, finances, fun, and fitness as solutions to impact these urban communities. And listen, it goes without saying, urban doesn't just look black. It doesn't just look white. It doesn't just look Hispanic. It is a coat of many colors when we speak of urban communities. And so as we take into what has been shared with us, the church has a very vital role to play at the spear. Because again, as he mentioned, we're a city that's supposed to be set on a hill, uncovered, so we can be a beacon of light to everyone who's looking. The families are going to come together, come to the church, receive healing, receive training, receive understanding in areas of finance so we can have people who have gifts to come into the local assembly to work together and from there we're going to take care of our temple we're going to be good stewards of what the lord has given us this body that is going to perish at one given point in time we want to take a great good care of it making sure that if we can prepare for someone's today that we can leave something for you to be beneficial for your children's children's tomorrow and then there's fun God knows I'm looking forward to being able to do so many great things for my children and leave something for their children. Listen, everybody, this has been such a great time. I'm here with Dr. James Wilkinson. We just had a great show about speaking on biblical solutions in urban communities. Dr. Wilkinson, is there anything you want to last word you want to say to our audience? The, the last thing I would say to everyone is simply let every man count the cost. 